Well, good morning, Hillsdale Baptist Church. Good to be with you this morning and to share with you. Well, it's Labor Day weekend, and when we think of labor, we think of work. I um, remember a story about a father. He had a one uh, or a first grade son, and every night the father brought work home. His son saw what his dad was doing, brought work home, would have to work during the evening. And so finally, one, one day, the uh, little first grade son said, Dad, I notice uh, you, you bring your work home. He said, yes, son. He said, I just can't get, get through with it at, at the office. He said, uh, he said to his dad, he said, Dad, why don't they put you in the slow group? <laughs> Maybe that, that's what that father may have needed, was to be in a, in, a, in a slow group. One pastor was preaching on work like I'm going to be doing today. And as he was preaching on, on the subject, he made a comment. He said, you know, with Moses, we have uh, Saturday off. And with Jesus, we have Sunday off. One of his friends came up to after him. He said, he said, Pastor, with five more good Jewish boys like that, we wouldn't have to work at all. So <laughs> maybe some of us feel like that from uh, time to time. Jerome K. Jerome said this one time. He said, I am fascinated by work. I, I mean, I'm just amazed by work. I could sit and watch it all day. And, and I imagine you might have some folks who feel that very, uh, that very same way. Well, today we want to talk about labor, we want to talk about work, and how that we as Christians are supposed to be involved uh, with our faith in the workplace. Uh, when we think of Labor Day, it started, I don't know if you know this, but it started in 1849. The, uh, lab, the Knights of Labor was a labor organization that wanted to recognize the labor force. And so they started this emphasis wanting to uh, at least one, one day each year to, to give employees off. In 1894, then President Grover Cleveland signed a bill uh, to making that and authorizing that, that there would be a holiday that we would call Labor Day. Now, I know we say Happy Labor Day, but how many of you have ever gotten a, a card, all right, from Hallmark saying Happy, happy Labor Day? We, we don't do that, but, but Labor Day was first established by these organizations and by our country to recognize the need to make sure that employees are paid a fair wage, that there were benefits, and, and that also that there was safety in the, in the workplace. Now, for us, what does Labor Day mean? I mean, it means barbecue, it means football, it means travel, it means the beach, it means the lake, it means the end of the summer and the beginning of the, of the fall. That's what it's come to mean to uh, most, of, most Americans. But how, sh how should we look at it as Christians? I think this is a great opportunity for us to look at our attitude. What is to be an attitude from Christians about the, about the workforce, about, the, about work itself? And so if you'll take your Bibles, and let's begin in the book of Genesis. We're going to begin in chapter 3, then back up to chapter 1, and then chapter 2. And the first thing I want you to see as we affirm some things, some clear directives about God's work, we're going to be talking about that work is part of God's plan. The first point I want to make is that there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with work. Now, there's been some misconceptions through the years, and I've heard it from time to time, that people think work is the curse that was given in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. And so there are those who think that's the curse, it's work itself. But it is not. That's not the curse. Let's look at what it is in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through pain and toil, you will eat food from it. 
all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now look at those phrases. In verse 17, painful toil. Verse 18, thorns and thistles. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow. These are poetic uh, expressions explaining what the curse really is. The curse is not work. The curse is the drudgery. It is the monotony. It is the joylessness of the work that we do. That's the curse, not the work itself. Because work, folks, it was a part of God's plan for us. It's not punishment for sin. It's not punishment for our sin. Uh, in fact, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we recognize that it's the monotony, it is the joylessness, it's the drudgery. That's the curse. Now, granted, we all have an issue sometimes about not wanting to work. I can remember as a child that uh, my uncle, uh, Uncle Robert, had come to visit us while we were in Homestead, Florida. And he was in the military, he was in the Army, and he was an Army recruiter, and he had a few days off. This was right before he married. Had a few days off. He came to see his older sister, my mom. And uh, we had a really great time. Well, he, his car needed washing. And he, he said, Travis, I want you to come out and help me to, to wash my car, and I'll pay you. Well, I thought that was a pretty good deal. I was a younger child, and I thought that was a pretty good deal until I got in the hot sun with all that humidity down there in South Florida, and I decided I didn't want to do that. I, the, the money wasn't worth it, all right? I didn't want to work. And so I, I tried to back out of it. My uncle said, oh, no, no, this is an agreement. We shook hands on this. You're going you're gonna to help me finish washing the car. So he gave me a really good lesson about honoring commitments. But I was just a child, but it, is, it was the attitude of not wanting to work, not thinking it was worth the money. And, and so that's, that's the part of the curse. And it's not punishment. The work itself is not the punishment for uh, the, the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. See, work was a part of God's plan. It was all from the very beginning. Look with me in chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 26. When God said, uh, let's make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. For God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, we saw this a few weeks ago. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Notice it says, subdue it, talking about the earth, rule over it. Then in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it, to work it and care for it. Did you notice that all of this, what I've just read to you, chapter 1 and chapter 2, all that happened before the sin of Adam and Eve. It was God's plan from the very beginning for us to work, to subdue, and to rule, and to work it, and to care for it, all before the curse. 
And then God gave us, not only did he give us his word, he gave us a wonderful example of this himself. He worked six days and he rested on the seventh day. That's what he desires for us to do. In the rhythm of life, we're to be working the six days and we are to rest on the seventh day to let our bodies kind of catch up, but also to have an opportunity of worshiping as God did. So it's a part of the, of the rhythm of our life. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, about scattering out. And as we scatter out, we, we are doing God's will. We're doing God's plan. But we're also witnessing of work the way that he would have us to work. I've noted in your, in your notes that uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 3, Paul is dealing with an issue with the church of Thessalonica. Now, on Wednesday nights, we're teaching through 1 Thessalonians, but there was a second letter that was written. And the uh, Thessalonians still had an issue about the second coming, fully understanding the second coming. Some of them had quit work, and they had gone to the mountains, so to speak, to pray. Well, there's nothing wrong with praying, but you're also supposed to be working. And Paul made note of that that you just don't stop your work and just wait for the second coming of Christ. You keep doing those things, but you keep looking up for the second coming. And he used the word idle. He said, don't be idle. He says, those who don't work, don't eat. And he was speaking also about the idle people of the world. The word idle there is the word don't play hooky. We get our word truant from that. So Paul, instead of congratulating them and affirming them, he's reprimanding them. Don't be idle. Don't play hooky. Don't be truant. That idea of truant means you're not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be someplace so that you can benefit from something. And here Paul is reminding them, don't be truant. Don't play hooky from that which you need to be doing. And that is being involved in the work situation, work and life. And so as Paul makes, uh, makes this comment, there are three things I'd like for us to keep in mind as we think about work as part of God's plan for us. And first of all, that is that work is a gift. Work is a gift from God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. Think about Jesus. Jesus worked. He, he like Jewish boys of that day, learned his father's trade. His father was a carpenter, so he learned the trade of being a carpenter. He spent a majority of his life being a carpenter. Now, we, we, we know that he spent the last three years of his life as far as going and now revealing that he was the Son of God, uh, preaching, healing, and then onto the cross experience. And we know that spiritually, we would assume, and rightfully so, he did a lot of things from the time of, of birth all the way to the age of 30, growing in his faith and probably teaching along that, uh, along that as well uh, there in Nazareth. But we know that he was a carpenter. And I, I'm confident Jesus never did anything half-heartedly. He gave his whole self to it. There was a sense of excellence. He always did his best. And, and the reason is, it's the testimony. It's what God expected of him in his humanity, but it's also the character of God to be a God that works. Jesus worked. The Apostle Paul. We know that all the way through his letters, he speaks about this, that he worked for his living. What did he do? He made tents. 
He knew how to take leather and to do all kinds of things, not just making tents, but he also, I'm sure, made other crafts as well and to be able to sell and to be able to make a, make a living. And the church, we've always upheld and championed the dignity of work and the responsibility that all of us share together as we work in this society, as we take our rightful place. That was one of the responsibilities that we felt we took seriously as parents, to make sure that we raised our children to understand work as young children given certain tasks, as they were older given even more responsibility with tasks. And when they were teenagers, when they had opportunities between their extracurricular activities to make sure they had some part-time jobs, babysitting and other things and, and working. And then as young adults, even while they were in college, to, uh, to encourage them and to help them to have some work to take their place once they finish their degrees into this world. We need to recapture this understanding that work is a gift from God. Now, we live in a day... And not to get into all the politics, but you recognize the fact that in many cases, people are being paid home, being paid to stay home and not work. That's not good. That's not just good politically or economically. That's not good from a point of dignity. That work is a gift of God. There's a reason he gave us work to do in our world, to use our hands, to use our minds, to use our bodies, and, and that there is the dignity, there is something that we capture from it now there's something else about work work is to be satisfying work is to be satisfying in Matthew chapter 25 in verses 14 through 30 we read about that parable where there was a landowner he went away for a season but before he left he gave one of his employees five talents another two talents another one talent the one with five doubled it the one with two doubled it one with one went uh, with one went and just buried it and when he came back, he rewarded those first two. The one that doubled, their, doubled it to five, uh, ten, the other doubled it to four. He rewarded them. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's something rewarding. There's something satisfying when we accomplish a project. Uh, this last Thursday afternoon, I did some yard work late Thursday afternoon. I have a lane that I cut and underneath some power lines right uh, that's, that is part of my property, but, but uh, on the other side of a tree line. And when I got through, I looked it over and said, you know, that's a pretty good job. I mean, that's really good. I'm sure you've done the same thing. When you finish a project, you think, hey, that's good. There's something satisfying, something rewarding about it. And then Friday afternoon late, I finished uh, the, the yard around my house and the edging and blowing all things and, and cutting. And the same thing, I'd, I'd walk around and say, hey, that, that's good. There's something satisfying. Don't you get that same satisfaction? For those of us who have been in school, and whether it is elementary or junior high, high school, into college, and uh, master's work, doctor work, whatever it is, when we finish something, when we finish a project, we finish a paper, whatever it may be, there's a sense of satisfaction. And then there, uh, for those of you that maybe close a big business deal, isn't there something satisfying when, you've, when you have done something of, of great magnitude? Others, uh, uh, whether it be farming, uh, whether it be school teachers and, and mill workers, whatever it is, when you finish something, there's that sense of satisfaction. That's part of the gift that God gives to us. That's part of the encouragement that God gives to us is that sense of satisfaction. But there's something else about work, and that is work is to be a partnership. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul says, For we are co-workers, our partners, in God's service. 
we find ourselves with an opportunity to work in tandem with God to accomplish His will in this world. When we accomplish God's will, you are a part of it. Now, can God do without me? Sure, He can do without me. God can do without you. He doesn't want to. He wants us to partner with Him. He gives us an opportunity to partner with Him in this world, to accomplish His mission. And the opportunity that we have is, is varied. Today, you are partnering with God. Those of you that were up here, you were playing instruments, you were in the choir, you were on the praise team, you're partnering with God and leading us in worship. In a few moments, you'll, you'll be going to Sunday school and there will be teachers. You're partnering with God. You prepared to share the word of God. We had people that left to take care of the children. They're partnering with God. And all over our church, there's these opportunities that we have. And, and, and not just these public ways, there may be behind-the-scenes ways that you partner with God. Those that help with Wednesday night supper. Those who are doing ministry and missions during the week. Those that help with little choirs on Wednesday night. Or help with children's missions on Wednesday night. Help with our student ministry. Again, on and on and on. You are partnering with God to accomplish His mission in the world. Now here we've seen that work is, is not punishment. Work is not to be seen as punishment. We need to see work as partnering with God. So once we understand that, the next question is this. What kind of worker do I need to be? What kind of worker do we need to be as we are serving God? What kind of worker should you be? A few years ago, there was a survey that was done, and two out of ten people said that they were satisfied with their work, that they really enjoyed their work. Now, think about that. Two out of ten, that meant eight out of ten didn't really enjoy their jobs. They didn't feel they were well-suited for their jobs. They didn't have a passion for their jobs. Uh, this, this past uh, Thursday and Brandon, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to mention Brandon. I was with Brandon for about three hours going through the cotton fields. I learned a lot about cotton. I really did enjoy it. But I love that man's passion. And I imagine there are many others in here. You love your passion for what you do. But think of this statistic that 8 out of 10 don't really enjoy their jobs. They're not getting a lot of it. There's not a passion. They're just getting up and going to work. And, and they're, they're paying the bills, and they, they look forward toward retirement. But there's not a real passion for what they are doing in this world. We need to think about the kind of people we need to be. Now think with me for a moment. What, which one of these scenarios maybe fits you? Are you the kind of person that you get up, okay, and you really have to work to get on time uh, to, the work, to do your job? You do just what's required. You draw your paycheck, and that's it. Or are you the kind of person that, okay, you, you go to work because you, you have some wealth goals. You have some money goals in mind. And you want to make as much money as possible so you can buy those toys or those tools so that you can play hard in your life. Or are you the kind of person that um, what you see in your job is it's what it it's what it can do for you in your position, to show position, to show power. Is, is that how you see your job? 
Or do you see your job, this is how you identify yourself. Your job is, is the identif identifying aspect of your life. If, if any of those scenarios, if you fit any of those scenarios, then you're, con you're going contrary to what God desires for us when it comes to our work. That's not the kind of worker that you need to be. You don't need to be the one that's just getting by. You don't need to be the kind of person that you're just in it for the money. You don't need to be the kind of person that you're looking for all the power and position. And you don't need to be the person that just sees your identity in work. Your identity is in Christ Jesus, by the way, not in your work. No, what, so what is the way that we are supposed to be looking at ourselves? How are we supposed to act as workers? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Paul, I think, makes it pretty clear in Ephesians chapter 6 the kind of worker that we need to be. If you really understand what work is about and your place when it comes to, to, to taking that um, opportunity of making a contribution to society, then what kind of worker do I need to be? As you're looking up Ephesians chapter 6, let me make sure you have the context. Paul's going to be talking about slaves and masters. That's the equivalent of employees and employers today. The principles are the same. When Paul gave these words in Ephesians chapter 6, he had just finished chapters 1, 2, and 3, giving all the theology, all the doctrine. And then in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he gives the practical application, how all this is to apply of people of faith. So he's going to be talking about how should you live as a husband and wife. How are you to live as parents and children? How, do you, how are you to live as, a, as a, uh, a father and a mother? How are you to live as the employee and the employer? And so with that in mind, he gives three characteristics of which should characterize your life in the workplace. And the first, first one that you uh, are, need to be is to be conscientious. Look with me beginning in verse 5 of this passage, chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves are employees. Obey your earthly masters, your employers. That word obey means come under their authority. When someone is paying for you to work, you come under their authority. So you obey them. You're under their authority. With respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ just as you come under the authority of Christ you come under the authority of the employer and here he says uh, that you're to do this with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart what does that mean that means you're supposed to be anxious about not falling short you're to be anxious have anxious care not to fall short in other words, as a Christian, we need to make sure that there's a sense of excellence, that we're doing our best. I like what someone said one time. They, they, they came up with a new beatitude. Blessed are those who fill their positions they occupy. As a Christian, we ought to fill the position that we occupy. That of all the employees that are around us, we ought to be at our best. There ought to be a sense of excellence. There ought to be a sense of loyalty, a sense of honesty, more so than anyone else in that organization. That's what ought to characterize us. In that verse, it says, just as you would obey Christ, just as you would work for the Lord, you're working for employer, 
it's just as if you're working for Jesus. I mean, put yourself in this position. Whatever the final product, whatever it is of your, of your work, of your industry, ever the, whatever the measurements that, that make, make, uh, make you know that you're being successful, that you're accomplished something, whatever they are, think of that as the final product. What kind of final, final product do you want to put at the feet of Jesus? Do you want that well done, thou good and faithful servant? Then I think we'd want to put the best possible final product. Whatever that measurement is, we'll want to put that at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we should do that to our employer. For sure we want to do it to Jesus. Well, if we want to do it to Jesus, why can't we do it to our employer? That we'll want to put our best foot forward. One employer attached a note to the paycheck of a certain employee and said this, your salary increase will become effective as soon as you do. <laughs> that should never be said of a Christian. That should never be said of a Christian. We should want to put our best foot forward always when it comes to our work. Now, there's something else. Not only are we to be conscientious, we're to be consistent. Look in verse 6. Obey them. Again, put yourself under their authority. Not only to win their favor with their, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Here, Paul is saying to, to the Christian worker, we need to be consistent, not only when we're being watched, but all the time, we should be doing our best. You ever been in a PE class and you're doing calisthenics and as soon as the coach's back is turned, you stop doing the calisthenics? That's what we're talking about here. Not only when the eye is on you, but when the eye is not on you. You still should be doing those calisthenics. You should still be doing your best in the workplace. Whether the boss is there or not. We've all seen the, seen the sitcoms uh, or maybe a, a movie where it's portrayed. As soon as the boss is out of the office, everybody's loafing around. And when the boss is there, uh, they're, they're, they're busy at work. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was, a, when I was a, a working in West Palm Beach. Arlinda and I had been married. Our first year of marriage, I worked at uh, Sears Roebuck and down in West Palm Beach, and I worked in the credit department. I worked on the counter at night. And most of us were either high school seniors or young college students that uh, worked at night. We had a supervisor that was a school teacher during the day. And so we would be busy taking care of customers at the counter in the, in the old days and when they had the credit departments and the actual stores. And um, we would be taking credit applications. We'd extend credit or we'd work out problems if something was wrong with their bill. We had microfiche. We could go and look up and figure out where they had, had uh, some, somebody had inputted the wrong figures. And so we'd correct their problems. But we were also told that when there were not any customers... We had these, the, the old filing system before the computer days, and we had files, paper, paper files on everybody. And it was file cabinet after file cabinet, big file cabinets. And the ladies and a few men that worked during the day in the credit department, often they were working so fast, they were leaving them all messy. Well, we workers at night, we had to clean up the mess. We had to straighten those files. But this was the word. Not only did we have to straighten up the files, we were told, hey, when the store manager comes around, you look busy. You know, you clean those files up whether those files are dirty or not, all right? You, you make sure you look busy when the boss comes around. 
Well, it ought not to be that way. We should be looking for work and being busy all the time. Many of you recognize the name David Jeremiah. While he was in school, he worked for a company at night, had a part-time job, and he was to load from a, from where, from a warehouse, he was to load tires and other things inside uh, the, the trailers for the trucks to pull off the next day, and that was part of his job. One day, the, the um, uh, union steward came to him inside one of the trailers, and he said, Jeremiah... Stop working so hard. Stop working so fast. You're making the rest of us look bad. You're making the rest of us look bad. And of course, David Jeremiah knew enough of the scripture. knew, and He was supposed to be doing this. He was supposed to be not only doing his best. He was to be doing his best all the time. Conscientious and consistent. Now let's look at verses 7 and 8. And we see that we are also to be working contented as well in our work look with me in verse 7 serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the lord not people because you know that the lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do whether they are slave or free let's go back to verse 7 serve wholeheartedly that means serve with goodwill it's talking about your attitude when you work not only do you do your best and not only do you do your best all the time, you do your best with the right attitude. We have really just two choices. Either we're going to be working grudgingly or we're going to be working gratefully. So which is it going to be? The Bible says here to work wholeheartedly. That, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. There ought to be a great attitude. We all have jobs from time to time, part of our work that is not pleasant but we don't have to make that known to everybody else make everybody else pay by our grumpiness because we don't like a certain aspect of our job we don't have to let that bleed out on everybody else we can face our job and do what needs to be done even the hard parts of our work and believe me all of us have that I've worked enough out in public. I've worked enough inside the church and then listening to church members through the years to know there's some unpleasant things. But attitude makes all the difference in the world. And we should have the right attitude being contented in our work as we give a witness of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that one of the greatest opportunities to witness that you have is when you are in the workplace do you realize in Titus, I think it's chapter, uh, chapter 2 in, in Titus, Paul talks about this. You are more attractive you, when, when you have the right attitude. You're attracting people to Jesus Christ. You realize in the workplace you can build bridges for people who do not know Jesus so that they can be able to walk across that bridge to meet the Savior and to have a right relationship with God. When, when you are authentic in the workplace... When there is a humbleness in the workplace, when you have a sense of excellence in the workplace, you're being a, an attractive aroma, the smell of Jesus. You're attracting people to our Lord Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity of witness. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then... People who are not believers will respect the way that you live. They will see there's something different about you, and you have a door, a bridge, 
to share with them Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We, we are made in the image of God. And work is a part of the image that we're reflecting. Our God is a working God. And part of his image, we're to be reflecting that in our work. And one of the goals in the Christian life, one of the, one of the, of the, the objectives we have is bringing glory to Christ. There's nothing greater you can do to bring glory to our God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so think about when you are in the workplace, you're bringing glory to him. Remember your first calling is to be a missionary. When you work in your job, that's just to pay your bills. That's just to make sure you have a place to live and clothing and food, uh, help the children with college or trade school or whatever they're going to do, and then uh, save some for retirement. All of that is so that you can be able to do your first job. And your first job is to be a missionary and share the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ with a lost world. So whether you're a school teacher or whether you're a farmer, the mill worker, you own a business, you're, you're the employee, you're the clerk, what, whatever it is that God has placed you, where he has placed you, the skill sets that you have, remember your advocation, that's first, that is to be the missionary. Your vocation just helps to fund what God has called you to reveal his glory, to reflect his glory in this world. There was a woman by the name of Margaret. She was an Australian and she always deflected the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, she was just very antagonistic to the things of God and to the church. But she had a loving, persistent friend that continued to share the message of Christ with her. And finally, the day came that she surrendered under the power of the Holy Spirit. She surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She became a beautiful witness. She was a nurse, and she became a beautiful witness of Jesus Christ. The day came after many years of being a Christian that she was afflicted with a terrible disease on her hands, with her hands and with her feet, to the point her hands and feet lost circulation and her hands and feet had to be amputated. She became disabled. Other people had to take care of her. And she prayed, God, I, I, I still want to be used of you. Just reveal it. I give to you, God, all that I have left, I give to you. And like Johnny Erickson Tata, she learned how to put a brush into her mouth, and she began to paint. She became an artist, and she began to sell her paintings. She was also able to write notes to people, sharing her testimony, not to preach, just to share a testimony of Jesus Christ. When she died, her pastor shared that more than 1,500 people, 1,500 known people, said they came to Christ because of Margaret. You have two hands. You have two feet. What are we doing to share the message of Jesus Christ in the marketplace where God has placed us? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We believe in your word. We believe your word gives us everything we need for our faith and for the practice of our faith. And today, Father, we have talked about that when it comes to our labor, when it comes to our work. Too often we become so caught up in our work, we think that's what identifies us. But the truth of it, Father, is it is where, where we spend most of our time in any given week. We spend more time at work than we do at home or any other place. We forget just how that is an open field to witness of our faith of Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we understand that work is not a curse, it's not punishment for sin, work can be tiring, there's the drudgery, the monotony, the joylessness sometimes of work, that is true, that's the curse. But thank you, Father, that we understand it is a gift from you. And as a gift, Father, we recognize that we will find our satisfaction when we use our gift for you. And also realizing we're to partner with you. So may we have the kind of work ethic that is conscientious, that is consistent, that's contented. And with that, when we live out our faith that way, we're attracting people to Jesus Christ because we'll be more Christ-like. Bless us, Father, as we see ways where we can make some improvement, some adjustment. Bless those, Father, who are already in that. Convict us of those of us who maybe didn't realize it, maybe been a little complacent about our witness. And may we become truly shining examples for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.